Welcome to We're Right. We're Right focuses on advocating for mental health and physical health through sharing stories. My name is Dr. Belcher. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, supervisor, and counselor educator. I'm looking forward to connecting with each listener. Remember, this ain't therapy, but it's kind of therapeutic. Now, let's get into today's episode of We're Right. All right. Welcome back to We Are All Right. My name is Dr. Belcher, T the teacher, still continuously going to figure out what I'm going to call myself, but we're back with We Are All Right and continuing our, it's not necessarily a series, but really paying attention to hearing the stories of individuals that are within our communities doing a multitude of things. So today I'm excited to have uh, Kim with me. I don't know if I should say Kim or Dr. Lawrence. But uh, we'll kind of fix that as we go forward. But Kim is an assistant professor of health psychology at the Virginia State University. Her work focuses on intersectionality, Black LGBT plus communities, health, and substance use. She also is a member of the psychoneuroimmunology, it is a tongue twister, of Risk and Disease Lab with Dr. Keene. In her free time, she enjoys all things Marvel, Star Wars, and all things Black nerd culture. You can also find her enjoying time with her fur baby, Parker, which I personally hope makes a guest appearance, enjoying a nice cider, making memories with her friends, and working on self-love and self-care. So again, I'm excited to have with us Kim, Dr. Lawrence. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. So... I, I guess I want to start out with verifying. I know I butchered the name of your uh, your lab. If you could tell us, I'm just curious, Eden, what, what is all of that? What's this lab about? So um, I will not do it as much justice as Dr. King does, but I will do my best. So basically what we look at is it's more of a biocycle social model for looking at substance use, um, neuropsychological issues, um, cognition, and we look at it in terms or how it relates to substance use. So how substance use impacts that and how um, cognition and neurology and things like that impact substance use. So it's kind of this umbrella term for everything that we do. So we look at things such as as mentioned, uh, we look at cognition, we look at executive functioning, we look at brain structures, but we also look at things like um, discrimination, uh, intersectionality, which is where I come in. So we look at social issues and how they impact our work um, as far as substance use is concerned, but it's also, uh, we have students who are doing work um, not only with substances such as cannabis use and alcohol use, but they want to look at things, I'm trying to think what one of my students is looking at. We're looking at sexual orientation and cannabis use really to kind of see is there in college students, HBC college students, to really see if LGBTQ students are impacted more when it comes to substance use, in particular cannabis use. Um, because most of the research that is out there focuses on 
Caucasian or European or white um, groups. And what, what we've noticed as we've kind of been diving into the research is that they might say, um, we looked at 1,000 individuals who categorize themselves as a sexual minority, but then when you actually go to the race breakdown, 90% of the study is with uh, white Americans and or white students. And while there are minorities in that, when only 10% of your, like 10% of that study is minorities, and then you break that down into Black, Latinx, Asian American, and maybe Pacific Islander other. And so when you really think about that, that's not a lot of, that's, that's not as well diverse when it comes to making generalized statements. And so that's the kind of direction that we're taking um, for some of the research with my students, because we really want to leave an impact in our communities, not only our African-American or Black communities, but uh, specifically with our LGBTQ plus communities as well. Um, yeah, so we can, we do a lot. And it's always evolving, always changing, but um, I will make it easier for you instead of having to say psychoneuroimmunology. We literally just call it the nerd lab. The nerd it's lab? The PSI. The nerd lab. It's like nerd, nerd but the yeah. P is silent. So that's <laughs> I like we, that. So we call it nerd lab. Most people call it nerd lab until you ask what does it stand for, and then you're like, uh. So yeah. No, I, I so love we that. Do. I appreciate you sharing a little bit more about your research in this research lab and the various ways that you all are trying to advocate for all people. So, I mean, it totally makes sense that you're saying these generalizations, any of the information, I won't say any, a vast majority of the information that you're looking at is generalized off of like homogenous groups, more so. So you're trying to focus your research on diversifying the pool so that we can truly make inclusive generalizations about substance use that is inclusive of other factors. Totally. And even if we can't make, if we can make inclusive generalizations, it's great, but also that even if we find something niche within that generalization where we say, if you're working with this population or this group of people or in this setting, there are specific things you need to take into account, not just applying some generalized um, understanding of someone's culture or a generalized understanding of someone's um, background and saying, okay, well, all, all lesbians think this way. You know, we don't. We all have our own unique experience, but just if we have some General, I'll say it like this, we have generalized appreciation for the specific um, intersections that someone brings into the conversation or brings into a study. To me, that's going to make a bigger impact because you're, you show value to that person. They don't just become a number in a data set or a percentage in a paper. They become, they're a person. And so you don't want to lose that in I don't want to do that when I do my research. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I I know listeners can't 
won't have the ability to look at this, but I'm pretty much smiling ear to ear because you're the type of researcher I hope to be, to be able to see how to connect the information from the community and from our unique lived experiences, but making sure within the psychology research, within the counseling research, within academia, there is an adequate representation and understanding of our experience. I'll leave it kind of broad. No, definitely, especially in spaces where experience, while important, isn't always valued. Um, you know, in some fields, because I, I have a background um, in gender and women's studies and uh, gender sexuality and women's studies. And so when I'm in spaces that are more uh, sociological in nature, really that opportunity to speak in the abstract and to really focus on identity um, as the crust of individual importance um, is there, but I have found that in psychological research, um, it's not always there. And there are, there's a push to move in that direction, but you still get tons of pushback because people say, well, how can you measure identity? How can mm -hmm. you quantify um, experience? And you're like, at some point, you just say you can't quantify it because a, a measure is not, a, you know, an assessment tool is not going to measure my entire lived experience. However, there are methods that you can use that will allow you to not only assess things quantitatively but also assess things from a qualitative point, a standpoint and then use a combination of the two to kind of make like your mosaic of, of research so that's at least that's the idea or the ideology that I try to take mm -hmm. um but it's difficult because I would love to say there are days where even though it gets challenging, I know what I'm going to do. There are days when I'm like, okay, I'll just stick with the questionnaire and it's simple and easy and I don't have to think about it because I know it's accepted, it's deemed reliable and valid by the um, psychological community, so I don't have to really fight for any, anything as far as understanding individual importance. And then once I get there, I always fall into this space where there's no motivation. So it's like I get to this place where I'm just like, forget it. I'm just going to do it simple. And then I try to do it simple and I never can get it done. And then I realize it's because the essence of why I do what I do and why I strive to and strive to do more of what I want to do is there. And so it's it's a constant battle, but I feel like I'm in a today I'm in a space where I'm like, okay, not ready to give up just yet. You just kind of have to massage the situation into your favor. Oh, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I kind of want to take a moment to catch listeners up. So I have the privilege of knowing kind of more of what you do. So I'm wondering, you're mentioning psychology, you're mentioning your background in gender studies. Um, 
kind of going out of order in a way, but let's say, who who are you? I know we had your bio. We have a little bit about your research interests, but who are you and how do you define yourself? Mm, good question. Let's see. Let's see. This. It's funny. I was actually having this conversation the other day and someone asked me the same thing. And even though I don't want to use this term because of everything that's going on in Ukraine, but I almost see myself as like a Russian doll where I, there are many parts of me and it's like as you open the doll, there are um, multiple layers, or as I like to call them, there are multiple layers of experience. Uh, but I mean, in the general sense, if I had to just like give terminology to it, for me, I would consider myself a black, lesbian, slash queer woman in academia, who's trying to find her way, who feels the sting of imposter syndrome every single day, but is trying to just find her way, not only in career, but in life in general. Um, It would be nice to say that I could compartmentalize different aspects of my life um but all of my things kind of bleed into the other and that doesn't mean I can't focus on the task at hand and the situation at hand but what I have found is especially in the work that I do my identity plays has a heavy it holds a heavy amount of space and yeah um it can i would love i'm an emotional being i care hard uh i love hard just feel like there's many parts of me and i think we'll be here for four hours (laughs) (laughs) to find everything um but yeah there there's a lot so it's like I have my overarching identity and then there are things that fall under it that truly, to me, define who I am. But there's also things that I would love to say I had a term for, but I don't. Like, I just know, like, they're they're just pieces and mm-hmm. I don't know how to, like, give it a term or word or phrase. Um, it's just me. And that's, I think that's a beautiful answer. And the way you were describing having the layers, and I like to think of like like an onion, or if I really put on my my counseling psych hat, my Bronfenbrenner's concentric circles, but we'll just stick with an onion for now. <laughs> Who doesn't but, love a good Bronfenbrenner reference? Literally, I mean, Bronfenbrenner was the reason I studied ecological theory. I was like, oh my god, this is perfect. It is a perfect theory. So anyone listening, if you're like, hmm, I want to look into some (laughs) ecological (laughs) systems theory, there's a reference. It's great. (laughs) When I'm thinking about what you're saying, even how you were describing and defining the layers, all the way to the points that you're saying are, they don't have a name, but you know and you acknowledge that they are parts of you. I think that's really helpful 
when I even I just resonate with myself, but with my clients, so I think of just humanity. We often think we have to have a box to put ourselves in. And what you are illustrating and demonstrating for listeners is that you can have some boxes and you can be creating these others. Or you can say, you know what, this doesn't fit in the box, but it's me and I want to pay attention to how I feel about this versus trying to focus too much on categorizing it. Because I, I mean, it sounds no, like it's overwhelming. It, and for so long, I have spent time trying to box it. It's trying to say like, okay, do I fit in box A, box B, or box C? And I have just, it's maybe within the last two years, I finally realized like, I don't feel like I fit in boxes as much as as much as I would want to just for the simple fact that it, it will allow people to make sense of me I'm like well they don't need to make sense of it like I am who I am I don't have a box for everything I don't have a term for everything but I know it's there and something and they're important to me um but I would love to say again, and I emphasize saying this because I feel that for many of us, we don't, we hear things, we read things, we don't, and we see an image that someone is perfect. And instead of saying what happens when they're by themselves or what, what goes on in their head, we only see um what they present to the world and so it's like even though i know some things don't have terms and they don't have categories there are days when i'm like i don't fit like what about me isn't fitting and it takes me a while uh to to just kind kind of come to a place where it's like but that's what makes me unique is because i don't fit here um so yeah it's it's definitely a journey definitely for sure but you think your ability to reframe it for yourself i know so many people and i won't even make it like so many people i know i have felt so bad when i didn't fit and i viewed it from a perspective of like oh what was me i'm bad i don't fit and everyone who does fit is right and I'm wrong. But the way you're describing yeah. it, it's like you've gotten to a different part of it. It's like, hey, I don't fit. And like, wow, look at the beauty in that. I can go somewhere else. I know I don't have to continue engaging with this space that my mind, body, spirit is saying, hey, yeah, you don't have to do this. You don't want to do this. And it's okay not to. Oh, totally. And even... It's like every time I feel like the most in tune with that feeling is when I feel the most inspired. And that shows because every time that I'm trying, like, for instance, if I'm trying to fit, um, like, Black professor role, and I'm trying to fit what the idea is of a Black professor, I struggle. I'm under tons of stress. I'm always panicky. Um, I'm always wondering, am I doing a good job? Am I, you know, am I going to mess my students up? And then at some point it just, and I do this 
I would love to say that I don't do this often now, but I do it every week. Um, but then I get to a point where I'm like, I can't mess them up. I literally only see them three times a week. I cannot mess them up that bad. But then it's like embrace. I have to tell myself, you have to add you into whatever you're doing. And so, like, even the other day, we were talking, we were talking about something in one of my classes. And I was discussing, I was talking to them about intersectionality and identity. And I was telling them about, you know, my identities or just a few that I let them, not let them know about, but I was talking about my, you know, being a Black queer woman, Black lesbian woman, um, because I like to flip between the terms. For, for myself um and I saw more students light up than I had seen for a majority of the semester for me and then after class some of them emailed me and some of them just came up to me and they were just like oh my god I'm so excited to know I have a black gay professor and it was just and it was, just, I was being myself. I wasn't trying to imitate anyone. It was just, you know, I walk through this earth with my blackness and my gayness and my womanness. And there are days when I don't know how any of it fits, but I can't avoid it and run from it anymore. And they were just like, that one discussion in class inspired them or make them feel comfortable or even just made them feel seen. And I was like, so I, I'm not going to mess them up. They're going to be okay. And I'm going to be okay because it made me just see, oh, well, I just need to focus on being myself. Yeah. You're going to make me tear up over here. <laughs> no, that's, that's so, ah, uh, it's, I don't know. I think I just got to take a second on that one because it's, we always talk about representation and how it matters, but for some students, it sounds like you're the first black, queer, lesbian, identifying professor who's been open. Um, if not the first, you're the person that they have right now who's willing to say, given everything's going on right now, I'm still going to show up and tell you exactly who I am. And you're able to do that to, you say, inspire them, but just that additional piece of making them feel comfortable whether that's their identity or not, to know that there's somebody who identifies and is, say, differently than the majority. And then the messages that we receive in media, we can come in the classroom and say, hey, this is who I am. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I don't think no, I had my that, first that... out teacher that was a person of color until maybe my doctorate. Lucky. That was lucky. I, I, I never. I never had one that was out and that shared it. Yes. It would be like they would make hints to it, but I mean, students are definitely different now, but like when we were in school, I wasn't going to walk up to a professor and be like, hey, are you gay? Like, I'm not going right. to do that. My students now do not care. They are, <laughs> they just say what they want they and they do. keep it moving, but like you would get hints like, okay, Maybe, you know, I've never seen them like discuss uh, a 
opposite sex partner and then it but it was never like i can look up to this person because they're themselves and so i know even when i started my career it was like you have to i didn't want to say you have to hide it but you just don't discuss it mm-hmm. and every time i didn't discuss it i just felt more and more unauthentic because it was like why am i hiding a piece of myself for fear of a student saying well i don't agree with that and then recently it was like hide for what like the only person hurting is myself they're not hurting because they come to class they do what they need to do my colleagues aren't hurting you know yes i don't walk up to my colleagues and say hi my name is Kim. i'm gay like i don't do that but you know we're in conversations and they're talking about um you know we need to do more to diversify our department i'm like well you need to also keep in mind that diversity isn't just males and females diversity includes things like sexual orientation it includes things like um the importance of religion for some people like you have to take those things into importance and you know there there are days when i get pushed back um but they realize in the end that i'm there for a reason and we're not going to make a change when people aren't willing to at least hear that there are different sides but i also see it with my students it's like i don't want them to go through or have to feel like they're not seen and you know you don't we don't know who is going through life saying you know i know i'm trans or i know i'm uh, a lesbian or i know i'm gay and i don't see people who look like me so i realize you know they think that they only have options in these five careers or these five trajectories and they're like well to go through these trajectories i have to hide myself um but i also think the experience is unique at an hbcu as well because we come with there's while the ch- there's a change in representation there are still it's like the change representation is there but there are still ways that you are kind of placed in the closet unintentionally or at least it feels unintentionally it could be intentional but i don't know that um and i don't know where that comes from you know i've i've thought about this a lot more recently um i was able it's uh I was asked to do the keynote speech at the Lavender Ball at VSU in the fall, which we had discussed me writing a speech about. And I was like, I was looking around and I said, you know, where were these, not the students, but I was looking at the faculty and I was like, where were these faculty when I needed someone? You know, when I needed to see 
that I could still make it with my identity, you know, or with my multiple identities. Mm-hmm. Some days I wish I didn't have to just look for a pride flag at so at someone's office door or have to guess mm-hmm. or be like like I just want it to be just natural, just like being a woman is natural. Like I don't have to walk around and say, I'm a woman or I'm a man or I'm like I don't have to do like for me I don't have to do that. I know there are certain spaces where um some people have to claim their their uh, sex or their gender. Um, yeah, we have a long way to go, especially in in spaces where, especially for sexual orientation, for me, um, it's almost like you can be gay. But just don't talk about it. Like, we accept you. We can't fire you because you're gay. But, you know, I don't even want to say they say don't make it your life's work. But you just don't feel you don't sometimes I don't feel like it's appreciated enough. Like, yeah. I think this makes a lot of sense as we're talking about from the very beginning, intersectionality of research, ensuring that there is adequate representation in the data so that we can actually make informed decisions, but also in the more day-to-day lived experience of it, being able to just exist and know that the world is not going to automatically view everyone who is essentially within the dichotomy of deviant if you are not deemed the dominant identity. So what you're describing in my mind, mm-hmm. oh, you're talking about heterosexism or you're talking about, you know, we'll just, I'll say it, but like white supremacy and the fact that we don't actually have to have a person who identifies as white or identifies as heterosexual to be impacted by the systems of power. Regardless if there are certain individuals there, the systems of power exist in a way that it's a smooth running machine. We all participate in keeping it up and running, not just the people that we will point as like the figureheads, if you will. And even with this discussion, it's making me think, I don't know about you, but me and my professorship, I know that I have safety having this conversation because this falls into the line of research. I can talk as much as I want about blackness, queerness, Um, any of the things that I want to within that context, because I have the safety of that's my research. But if this was not my research topic, something as public as this could become problematic. And the only reason I bring that up is saying that to me, when you're talking about navigating these spaces and not knowing who you can talk to, when you can talk about certain things, while I think some of the social media side of uh, let's say being queer seems as though we can talk about it all the time within other systems that's not the case it very much no, falls to- back into there's a time and a place definitely like I think you said it perfectly 
like we have that space because I can if I have to I can fall back and say well this is my research like anytime someone wants to talk about gender or sexuality in my department or um, people who are no other people in my department they're like Kim and it's nice to be known as the gender and sexuality lady like don't get me wrong because at least I'm like I can educate mm-hmm. but it's like everybody should want to be educated everybody should want other everyone else to feel comfortable I shouldn't have to feel that I can't be myself in a space or I can be myself with limits mm-hmm. um And you just wish other people could see it. Like, there are times when I'm like, and I know this sounds cr- like super weird, but there are times when I'm like, I wish at when we had conferences, we could just have like a gay table. And like, everybody who rep- who identified as LGBTQIA plus, because I, I can never remember the entire alphabet acronym, that could like be in their own space at a con- like a campus wide conference or like we had a space on campus where we were seen and it wasn't just a single person division um because i think almost in a way in my mind i'm like if we could see that there are so many more of us at our institutions mm-hmm. especially especially from in my opinion for those of us who operate within multiple marginalized identities. Always seek care from your mental health provider and physicians pertaining to any health concerns you may be experiencing. Stay tuned for part two of Where I with this week's guest speaker. Talk to you soon.